welcome to Alligator Preserves, a weekly podcast about revealing yourself through storytelling, story reading, and story writing, but probably not story arithmetic, because that's not a thing. You just might surprise yourself with the secrets you'll uncover. Hello, curious listeners. I'm Laurel McCarg, and you're listening to Alligator Preserves. Today, we have the distinct honor of having Sherry Ficklin join us. She is the best-selling author of the Stolen Empire series and 12 or so other novels. Give or take, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Welcome, Sherry. Thank you so much for being with us today. Oh, thanks for the invite. You're so very welcome. I'm going to start off with a question that might surprise you. Okay. And you don't have to if you don't want to. Okay. Tell me a secret. I could get myself in so much trouble. <laughs> um, okay. So I was thinking about this. I, um, so I have been escorted from the White House three times. <laughs> what? Yes. I have been removed from the White House three times. I grew up outside of DC. So our field trips were always to, to DC, to the monuments and things like that. And so we, we did the White House tour several times and eventually it gets old and you want to shake things up a little bit and. So I, uh, yeah, I got in trouble. During whose presidency? I was doing the Clinton presidency. Oh my. Yes. Tell me what you did to get... Um, So there are like, there are roped off areas in the White House where you can go and see. And then in the not roped off areas, there are like really fancy tables with flowers and and things. They really don't like you to touch things. And I'm, I'm a toucher. I'm a toucher (laughs) of things. So I'm constantly like, oh, I'm wondering if there's listening devices in this flower pot. And they don't, they don't take kindly to that. So Sherry Ficklin, a toucher of things. I am a toucher of things. Oh my, you were, so what happened? So they just, they just ask you to go. And so I w- would go and wait out front with the two Marine Corps guards out front. Away from your school yes. group? Yeah. So my, my group was in finishing the tour and I was just told to wait outside. <laughs> oh my God. And the, when, when you got home, when you got back to oh, school? Oh no, nobody, nobody cared. <laughs> they, they just said, oh, that's Sherry. She yeah, t- that's she just, that's things. just, yeah. That's just Sherry. She touches things. She gets in trouble. They know. It wasn't a surprise. <laughs> I, I think there's a story there. Oh my gosh. So you've written 15 books. Yes. Okay. So books. So you many. love books. I love books. Tell me your earliest memory with a book. Uh, I, I learned to memorize books long before I could actually read. So I remember being really young, at, probably three or four years old before I even started kindergarten. And my mother would read these books to me and I would memorize them well enough that I would read them back to her. And she thought I could read, like she was very impressed that she thought I could read it such a young age, but I was just cheating, which is a really good euphemism for me as a person. <laughs> like I'm not nearly as talented as I seem, I feel like. <laughs> you, well, you, then you have a brain that can remember things. Yes. Amazingly. Yeah. I mean, to the word? Yeah, mean? to the word. That's brilliant. That's not fair. I just loved the stories. And I, and I've always been that way. If I could, they used to ask you, you know, in school, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to get paid to read books. That wasn't an option. So the next best thing is getting paid to write books. I feel like that's the next logical progression of that. I would agree. (laughs) Can you remember the first story you ever told an audience? I do. I was, I was in high school and I had, I was in my first year of creative writing uh, with Linda Beth Fristo, who was a fabulous teacher. And she organized local poetry slams at, uh, at some restaurants and things. And she invited us one time. I'm not a poet at all. Okay. Um, but I had this sort of weird little 
poemish type short story, like about a girl and a pet dragon. And it was, you know, looking back on it, I'm like, oh, that was terrible. But like for a high school student, it probably wasn't terrible. Mm-hmm. And uh, she brought me out and I read it in front of the audience and everybody clapped and loved it. And then I had a gentleman approach me afterwards who was from like a local magazine and he paid me for it, like $20 or something to just to put it in the magazine. And I was like, wow. that was it. I was wow. like, I'm going to do this forever. That's amazing. Yeah. But as a child, did you ever come down and... I was like a pathological liar as a child. I was an, I was an only child. So oh. whenever I'd get in trouble, I was like blaming my imaginary friends or my toys. So you, you know what I mean? you were a storyteller. You, yes. You were a teller. I was a tale. story weaver. A, a weaver. <laughs> the, okay. Yeah. And it, did it always work? Oh, it never worked. It never worked. It never worked. <laughs> never. My mother was very clever, but... I mean, I feel like it got me into as much trouble as it ever got me out of. So it was kind of a toss up. Yeah. 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 What do you think is the most important element in storytelling? Um, Considering, I guess, readers and audiences, listeners. I think a lot of people tend to think that like a great plot makes a great story. And I tend to disagree. I think that a really interesting character, whether it's the hero or the villain or even the side characters, if you have those really amazing characters that really kind of connect with people, that's what makes a story. A great character can carry off a bad plot, but I don't think it works the other way around. I don't think you can take a great plot and throw a eh, character into it and make it work as a story. I think it always has to be about the characters first. Okay, we're listening to Sherry Ficklin, best-selling author of the Stolen Empire series. You can find her books on Amazon and anywhere else. They're all over online, Amazon, Barnes Noble. You can find them in bookstores. Most libraries have them. They're everywhere. And do you have a website? Yes, SherryFicklin.com. And it's Sherry, F-I-C-K-L-I-N.com. All right, so you've been writing for how many years? I've been writing for about 10 years now. Okay. I started, I should say I've been writing professionally for about 10 years. I've been writing like online fan fiction since I was a teenager. And after my youngest daughter was born, my husband said uh, very lovingly, why don't you just write something you can sell? Like, right, stop playing with other people's and write your own. And, and I, and I was like, yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Like I didn't realize it was hard. Like I went into it very naive, not really realizing what it took to mm-hmm. get a book published. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't know you couldn't just like call up Penguin and be like, I have a book. And <laughs> and so I did. And they were so nice to me. And it's the absolute wrong way you to do it. You called up Penguin? Yeah. So I got like, a, they had just gotten a new editor for one of their teen lines. And I just like emailed her and I'm like, hey, I've got this book and you should check it out. And like totally green. And, and she gave me some great feedback and didn't take it, obviously, because that's not how you do that. But I mean, it was, she was just really nice. So it kind of started me off on my publication journey. Okay, so writing for 10 years. What is, what's been your greatest challenge as a writer? Not getting distracted. The I tend to sort of write in spurts. So like when I wrote Losing Logan, I wrote it in uh, like 20 days, just start to finish. And I, I feel like I didn't breathe. And I get very immersive like that when I write. I sit down and I write and nobody sees me for like a couple of weeks because I'm just sort of in this zone. But then I have these books where when I don't necessarily stay in that till it's done, I'll get distracted by the things when it's hard for me to come back and finish. So it's kind of a balance for me between not becoming so compulsive with the books that I don't come up for air for that long, mm-hmm. but also not letting myself get distracted enough that I can't come back and finish a story. 
Have you, do you have several projects going at once or do you focus on one book at a time? I try to do one book at a time. There's almost always like multiple voices in my head at once. Mm -hmm. So I kind of pick the one that's the loudest or the story that I want to tell the most. And I I go with that. But occasionally you'll have those moments of, oh, this other character's talking to me and you have to break off for a few minutes and jot down notes. And I try to make it very quick, like just kind of get the idea out, silence that little voice for a little while and then go back to where I was. So, but yeah, I usually have two or three. Okay. open projects at a time. Um, losing Logan or any, is any, are any of the characters autobiographical? <laughs> uh, yeah. Losing Logan's one of the few books that I wrote that's actually very much populated on people that I really knew. Mm-hmm. And they're kind of amalgamation characters. So it's not like one character is this person, but it's like some of the characters are amalgamations of people I was friends with in high school or boys that I dated or things that I, yeah, I did or things that happened. And it's, it's very true to story. So losing Logan is a, a, like a ghost story romance. And it's sort of based on an event that happened to me when I was in high school. I, I had a sort of a friend in high school that passed away and I had never, it was my first time really dealing with like death of someone that you knew, which was uh, interesting for me. And I remember walking into his wake with uh, a group of friends And I was about to sign the guest book and like out of the corner of my eye, I swear I saw him. Like it was the creepiest thing. Like I just turned around and walked out, like I left. But then, so Logan sort of starts there where uh, Zoe's, you know, at this funeral of this childhood friend and, and she sort of sees him and then she didn't leave. And so Mm -hmm. that's where her story kind of diverges from mine. Okay. So yeah. That was a, a, is a very compelling story, by the way. How about playing with fire? Oh, I love those. I so I grew up a military brat. Mm-hmm. We moved all over the place uh, all the time. It's a it's a very interesting life. And if you aren't familiar with that, if you didn't live through it, it's kind of hard to describe to people. But it's it's I I, I like to joke that it's a cult. Like those of us that have grown up that way, we recognize each other and and we share war stories, our war stories. And uh, so it was sort of based on a character that had that same upbringing as I did. The character but, of Paris. Yes, say she's. She's much more, no, she's much more clever than I was. She's much more bold than I was, uh, as a teenager, particularly. It's just her and her father. And she's, there are some things that she does that were like sort of pieced from things that, that I saw or that I did. But, uh, she's a, you know, kind of a detective, a very sleuthy character. Mm-hmm. She's much more clever than I was at that age. She's much more put together, but she does share that. I feel like a lot of the military kids have this sort of weird, it, like it, uh, like it's almost like a personality disorder. Like it's a borderline personality disorder, where you have like you're very compartmentalized. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Like, and when something overwhelms you in one compartment, you shut that down and you move to something else. Right. So in order to like shut down her fear about what her father's doing, she's solving these crimes, and and it's it's very interesting dynamics to play with someone that has these kind of personality disorders. I really liked her character. I found her very strong and snarky. And, yes. Um, interesting relationship with her father too. Yeah. Anything from your background? Yeah, no, no, it's, it's so funny. Um, my dad, who was actually my stepdad, but he was sort of one of those like aloof guys. He was very, you know, he worked all the time and he was very busy. I didn't have nearly a strong relationship with my dad as she does. So maybe that's kind of wish fulfillment. Like maybe I wish I'd had a little bit more of that. Okay. All right. I don't like questions about favorites, like what's your favorite <laughs> book or how can you answer a question about what's your favorite right. book with so many books out there? 
I, I, I could never answer that, so I'm not even going to ask you that. I, what's your favorite color? That's the only, that's the only <laughs> question I'll ask. Black. black. I like Vanta black. Have you seen this Vanta black? It's like blacker than the blackest black. It's black that absorbs all visible light. Oh my! Like so black it's, hole. it's black hole black. It, yeah. So your eyes can't even process it. Like you can't even. This is a thing. It's amazing. I Google it. Vanta you, black. It's Vanta? ridiculous. V-A-N-T-A. Yes. V a n t a. I'm going to Google that as soon as we're. It's we're a, done so here. they're making like cough out of it, and when you put it over something, you can't even see. Like it completely, it's Ooh. basically an invisibility cloak only in black. It's really impressive. Where did you discover this? I, I, I know, saw I know it. that you go to Comic-Cons. I do go to Comic-Cons. I didn't actually see it there. I saw it online. Somebody was developing it. Um, I, I want to say it was a designer that was developing it. Okay. And they, they sort of stumbled across it accidentally, but it eats 100% of visible light from the spectrum. So you, it's... It's magical. Yeah, it's magical. You just can't even process it when you see it. It's so black. You can't even, your brain doesn't register that there's anything there. I'm going to look that up. Like in half it's an hour. It's really cool. <laughs> so a favorites, uh, it's not going to be a favorites question. It's going to be a question <laughs> about characters. Okay. And uh, characters in literature, and you've read a ton. I read a lot. Tell me one or two that really stand out for you. Okay. So I, I like, I look back when I was like an early reader, like in my early teens. And I remember like reading books that I really shouldn't have probably been reading as a teenager. You know, like you have that phase where mm-hmm. you're like, I'm going to read the, the books right. that I shouldn't be reading. Right. Um, I remember picking up BC Andrews probably way before I should have been reading BC Andrews. And I have, so I like, I ship characters all the time. Like, Oh, I love these characters together and they'd be perfect. I, it's totally disturbing. And I feel better now that Game of Thrones is out and like more people are okay with this, but I totally ship like Chris and Kathy, like their brother and sister. Mm-hmm. Like that's not okay at all. <laughs> but like, I feel like as an only child, like that kind of like that dynamic doesn't really sit in my brain well. Okay. So I was like, Oh no, but they're perfect together and they love each other. And, and everybody's like, that's not okay. So like, as characters, though, I think they stood out to me as like, because they were so broken and they were so like weird, but then they, they really had a connection with each other, which was strange for my 13 year old self to process. And it was disturbing, but you know, but then that like Game of Thrones is out now and everybody's like, yeah, incest. And I'm like, okay, it's cool, whatever. So it's not just me. I feel better than I'm not a weirdo. And, uh, and then I remember I was reading, uh, this was later. This was in my late teens. I was reading, I wrote, I love like Clive Barker and Stephen King, but I love Clive Barker, especially like his fantasies. And I was reading The Great and Secret Show, and he had this character that was, I can't even begin to describe the storyline to you because it's outrageous. Like it's completely mind bogglingly trippy. But there was this character who was stumbled across basically God like powers and, and sort of the things that he did with them and the way he was trying to use them. It was just so. It was really interesting to see a character react that way to suddenly mm-hmm. having this. Like I think about myself, like if I got like a Harry Potter one tomorrow or like Jedi mm-hmm. powers, I would completely be a Sith. I would go dark side. I mean, in an instant, <laughs> I would, I know this about myself, but he was like one of those like characters. It's just kind of genuinely has that moral compass. Okay. And I really liked that. That was really big well, for me. Characters with dark sides also have yes. a reason for their dark side. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it, and and I feel like, so there was, you know, the protagonist and the antagonist, and they were both kind of on the same field starting out in the book. And then you kind of see this divide start to form. And it's interesting to see why and how they did the things that they did and made the choices they made. That's always really interesting for me. So you've written about a lot of different characters. Is yeah. there a character type you're itching to develop that you haven't yet. I really want to do an unreliable narrator. An unreliable so, narrator. Yes. So Just I explain. I read a book recently where, you know, the book starts out and you have your main character and um and 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 y- you think like 
this character is the hero of the story and you're reading and you're reading and he sort of starts doing darker and darker things, but you understand why, like you get why he's doing what he's doing. And then you get to the end and you sort of realize that he's actually the villain. Like he's the bad guy of the story, but because we're hearing it from his perspective, he's the hero of his own story. Like obviously like, and he wants you to understand why he's doing these things. And uh, so I think unreliable narrators are fabulous because you get it from their point of view, but it's Mm -hmm. skewed. It's a skewed point of view. And you don't know any as a reader because all you get is their perspective, uh, which is why I love, I love first person uh, books because I love that POV where you're just completely in a character's head and you're seeing the world through their eyes. I think that's really well done. But to see that world through the eyes of someone that's really unreliable as they're telling their own story is fabulous. And you haven't written this character I haven't, and I really want to. It's on my bucket list. Do do you have a storyline? I feel like you have to really do it right. So I don't have... Like I have a character in my head, okay. but male I haven't male, 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 but I haven't heard the story. Like he hasn't told me his story yet. Like he's just kind of lurking. Okay. So we'll see and, how it goes. And why, why male and not female? I don't know. It's just the way it came. Just feels right to yeah, you. Yeah. It's just, and that's usually the case for me is that that's just kind of how they come. Do you have a name for this unreliable character? Not yet. No. How do you choose names? They tell me. It's very schizophrenic, but like eventually the character's like, this is my name. I was doing the Lost Imperials and we sort of went through lots of names because the names we gave the characters initially were more like nicknames. Like they were names they gave themselves because they didn't really have memories of who they were. Mm-hmm. And so I knew who the character actually was, but then I didn't know what they would have called themselves, like what their persona was. And then eventually it just like just clicked when I was writing one day. So a lot of times my characters start off without names in the books okay. and then I go back and put them in once I realize what they are. Ooh. Yeah. That's an interesting way of doing it. Have you it's ever, very neurotic. Have you, ever, have you ever changed a name once you've named a character? Only at a publisher's request. Only if I had a character that they were like, you can't name this character this name because there's already a character with this name or something that's very popular and they've made me go in and change a name, which just hurts my soul. Uh, okay, but it has that's happened. That's a great segue into my next question. <laughs> and my next question is about publishing. Okay. What's your opinion of indie versus traditional publishing? You know, it's just... It's it varies so much from book to book and author to author. And even now having, I've like, I've done both. I've done the traditional and I've done the indie and I would never go and say, I'm never going to do indie again, or I'm never going to do traditional again, because I feel like it really depends on the story. Mm -hmm. Like there are some stories you tell that just need to be done one way or another, or there are stories that you need to tell that aren't necessarily going to pigeonhole into like a traditional market. And so Mm -hmm. then you need to take those out indie. So, and I think either way can be, wildly successful but it has to do a lot with like the author's personality type too you know how much control you want how much control you're willing to give up and and sort of you know the the trade-offs of you know you get the help of the publishing house i love working with a publishing house team i love having a group of people that i can go to and say you know i'm having problems with this or i have a vision for this and help and they come in and they're they're like they're your support crew throughout the whole process indie publishing tends to be much more solitary and it's just kind of you but then you get complete control over everything. There's nobody coming at you saying, well, we need to change the cover or we need to change the character name. And so you have a lot more sort of control over your worlds. So it really is kind of a toss up and you just have to kind of look at yourself and your projects individually and decide, you know, which way you want to try and go with it. Have you ever had a publishing company tell you that you needed to change something that you absolutely didn't want to change? Yes. So one of my first series that I did we had an editing team. I, I want to say we were in edits for almost two years with this particular Ooh. book. And they had us completely rewrite scenes and add and just to change characters. A lot of the characters got cut out or combined two characters into one character. And it, by the end of it, I was so disheartened with the whole process that it was just, A, I was ready to quit writing because I was just done. And then 
be, it was just, I felt like I, I had given up so much control, but it was a really good learning experience for me. Cause now I know going in like where I can draw my lines in the sand with my editors, where I can say, no, this is my vision and this is what I'm keeping. And I think if I hadn't gone through that, I never would have learned so you made sort of where my lines are. And yes, that I wasn't it, happy with. Okay. Yeah. How did it work out out in the world? Um, could you tell from reviews <laughs> or? No, um, no, I couldn't tell from reviews. The book was well received, but it hurt me later on doing the rest of the series. To this okay. day, I still haven't finished. And I feel like a big part of that is just because. I lost so much control of the world and sort of my vision for it and the characters that it became really hard for me. It was a very bittersweet, bittersweet thing to go in and even write the second and third of that series. But then to finish it off, I just, I had already lost so much control of it. I just wasn't happy with it anymore. So we kind of just stopped, which is terrible. You hate to say that that happens, but, and then the publisher that had it kind of went under and it was a whole thing anyway. So would, would you have some advice to someone going through that experience as far as where they could draw a line in the sand? You know? Yeah. I think the biggest thing for you is if you're reading something and you're just genuinely not happy with it, if you're not happy with it to the point where you feel like it's no longer your story, like you're no longer telling this, you're no longer in control. That's where you have to stop and say, this isn't going to work. And there are consequences to that. They're absolutely like the real possibility of getting dropped by your publisher or, you know, whatever the case may be. And, and that's again, where like contract negotiation comes in real key. Cause mm -hmm. some contracts, particularly with like large publishers say the author gets very minimal input in editing and very minimal input in whatever. Um, so you really have to watch out when you're going into a contract, but you have to be able to, you know, have enough vision to say, I can look at their suggestions and their changes and see if these are things that will improve the book and try to be very objective. But at the same time, when you really have that instinctual, this isn't going to be good for me, you can't, you have to say, no, this is, this is my line in the sand. And possibly even walk away. Yeah. And, and possibly walk ending. away. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You're listening to my visit with best-selling author Sherry Ficklin, a toucher of things. Stay tuned while we brainstorm about research, about marketing, and about what's coming next. I like to brainstorm always. Okay. And I'm trying to think of what, what we could brainstorm about right now. <laughs> How about the idea of research? I love research. You love research? I love research. Even when I'm doing non... So I do a lot of historical, but even when I'm doing like contemporary stuff... So, so brain, much research. brainstorm about research. What what comes to mind? You know, it's interesting when I'm when I first get an idea for a book or something. I tend to like so when I first got the idea for like Canary, it was hours and hours and hours and of going to like antique canary, stores. Yeah, the, the Canary Club, my newest release, canary, can, which canary is my 1920s gangster romance. Okay, uh, which uh, is fabulous. Pro it's still probably one of my favorites that I've done in a series. It, yes, it How is. Many um, series? So there's two in the series, but then there's a prequel that's already out. It, it actually comes out in print this month. Okay. So there's like a prequel, like novella set of three prequels, and then there's the the main book, and then there'll be one more. Okay. And so, so your research. Yeah. So when I first had the idea to do like 1920s, I was like, I don't know anything about the 1920s and particularly New York in the 1920s. So I started off just kind of locally hitting a lot of antique stores and gobbling up, you know, old magazines and things like that. So I could see the advertisements at the time and sort of where everything was, which ended up being great for me later because I had found a magazine that had a lot of advertisements for like men's suits and stuff. So I was able to like pull like patterns and weaves and the different things that they were calling the shoes and the hats and all of, you know what I mean? The mm -hmm. specifics really well pulled in for research later. And then I took a trip to Manhattan and we did a speakeasy tour of all the old original speakeasies in Manhattan, which was 
super fabulous. We ended up, so I had called ahead of time to one of the speakeasies and um, let them know that we were coming out because we were going to do, we had been there signing art copies of the first book and we were going to come in and, and do like a, a, a like a party signing thing there. And an art copy is yes, the advanced, advanced release. Reader. Yeah. The advanced, advanced reader copy. Yeah, so it's before it's done, but you know, it's better than a rough draft, I guess. Right. So those went out to libraries and stuff. And uh, so we came in and so we got the address and we took an Uber and we got there and it was like, the address didn't exist. Like we're and there's no, like it skips. There's no, this address we couldn't find it at all. And, but there was this really large, very intimidating man kind of standing on the street corner. And in New York City, this is a terrible thing. Like, this is not, like, I've been burned by strangers in New York City before. Like, you don't you don't trust strangers. So we go, and uh, he's like, hey, are you Sherry? And I'm like, maybe. No, no. <laughs> it was amazing. It's so scary. And he's like, follow me. And he starts no. going, he like, Wait, who are you with? Tell me you were with someone. So I was, so I was with two of my publishing, my publishers were with me. Okay. And so he lifts up this like metal grate in the ground. No. Yeah. And I'm like, this guy is going to like peel off my skin and wear it as a mask. Like it's I'm going to be taking lotion out of a basket. Harry Potter's the training platform. Oh my what gosh. The- nine and three quarters. Yes. Nine and three quarters. Yes. That's the feeling it had. Like in, I'm in about to world. die. So. He's like, come with me. And I'm like, no. And he's like, no, really, come with me. Like, in the creepiest way possible that somebody could, like, he's not just like, oh, hey, I work for the place you're trying to, no, he's like, hey, come with me. And I'm like, oh, no, no, this isn't. And finally, he's like, no, come on. And I'm like, all right, fine. You know what? If I, I'm going to, this is the hill I'm going to die on. This is fine. We're going to do it. So, because I make bad choices. So (laughs) I think this has been established. So I'm like, all right, fine. So I'm like, come on girls. And they're like, no, (laughs) come on. So I start following him. So they follow me by proxy. So we end up in this like underground alley that's like, and then they've got these like, it's like these old bricks with this old like graffiti and these like red lights. And so we get led in between basically the buildings kind of underneath and in between. And then there's this rickety staircase that goes back up in the back and a door. And he's like in here and he opens the door and we walk in and it's this stunningly beautiful speakeasy, like just amazing. And I'm like, there's, this is why, like these places operated the way they did. Oh my gosh. I would never have imagined. Like what, what year was this? Was this just um, year? Yeah, this was, so this would have been year before last. Yeah. Whoa. It was and crazy. You were coming. Yeah. So I had called ahead and let them know that we were coming. So I guess he had been waiting for me because you can't find the entrance to this place unless you know the entrance, which is totally typical of, you know, speakeasies in the era. Mm. Like, unless you know how to get there, you're not getting there. You're not going to find it. You're going to just be confused on the street corner in New York, which is what we were for a few minutes. And, uh, so we, we go in and I mean, it was amazing. It had the old original wallpaper and the big booths and they had, they had these big globes that they opened. Like you popped the globes open and there was like champagne and teacups because everybody drank right. their alcohol out of the teacups and, right. and it was a whole thing. And A, we had an absolute blast and B, it was just, it was so cool to sort of be immersed in this. It really just kind of took you back in time, like into this whole other period, and so they which was really fun. writing this. Series. Yes. And did you speak with the owner or? Um, I didn't get to speak with the owner. I talked to the manager and they kind of told me about it had, it actually used to be twice as big. Like one of the walls had been built 
uh, later on after it had closed because they had made the other part of it something else. So this is like half of what was the remaining speakeasy. And, um, but it used to be twice that size. There was like a dance floor and stuff, which had been eaten that, that wasn't there anymore. Um, but then he showed me like some pictures of the original, like how it was in, in its heyday. And it was just, I mean, just stunning. That is fascinating. Yeah. Did no you, amount of online anything? research. Did you touch anything? I touched want? everything. <laughs> I like, I'm, I'm like feeling up the wallpaper. Like I'm groping the phone booth. It was, I'm a toucher. I'm a toucher of things. <laughs> Sherry Pickland, a toucher of things. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me what your writing routine is like. Um, I try to keep a really good schedule. So I have kids at home. I have, you know, other stuff that I do. I have other work. So I, I tend to get my kids out the door, grab, you know, a quick breakfast, and then I settle into my office. I have a downstairs office at about 9 a.m. And I write from 9 to 4, 4 o'clock is about when my kiddos start coming home. So I do 9 to 4. So I do an hour in the morning before my kids leave for school, just like on my phone, answering social media, talking to my PA, sort of doing all the like business, business end. Yeah. yeah, the business end stuff. And then after dinner, I'll sit down for an hour. Same thing with my laptop, just in my living room and do another hour of business thing, returning emails or whatever. And then I have one day a week that's dedicated to doing my blog posts or sending out newsletters or whatever. And I do that on Wednesdays because it's an early release day for my kiddos. So they're home like in the middle of the day anyhow. So I get like basically a morning, I get like nine to one okay. that I get to do that. So people can sign up for your newsletter. Yes. On my on website. website. Yeah. You can't miss it. Big buttons. How, how often do you publish? I send out one newsletter a month okay. unless I have like a huge sale going or big pre-release. And then I'll send something like in the middle of the month too. I try to send out a newsletter around the first of every month. And it's right now I have a deal going where if you sign up for my newsletter, you get five free ebooks from me. So you sign up for the newsletter and then I send you an email with links to five free books. So you can check out and it kind of breaks them down by genre. So it's like, if you like historical, this is for you. If you like romance, this is for you. And so, cause I have a lot of different subgenres that I write under. Mm -hmm. So you can kind of pick and choose which ones you want to check out. I have... I have a pseudonym, sort of. So I have an adult paranormal detective series um, under um, Diana Ash, which is like my middle name and my maiden name. So it's... Diana Ash, A-S-H? A-S-H-E. A-S-H-E. Yes, but you can find them all on my website. Like okay. if you go to my website, it, they're all they're all there. And And the only reason we did that is when we first started putting those out, I had done so much YA that right. people were very confused and like okay. some angry. They were like, this isn't YA at all. It's not... It's, it, I feel like it's less explicit even than some of my way, which is hilarious to say, but there's more language and stuff. So it's, so it gets its own, but we're just going to fold it in. I'm like, you know what? People don't care anymore. So we're just going to fold it in. You think there's a lot of crossover between genre levels, YA versus... I do. The- it's such a blurred line anymore. Mm-hmm. It's funny. They told me when I started doing YA, I was like, well, you know, I'm marketing to teens and they're like, you're not actually marketing to teens when you write YA, you're marketing to the mothers of teens. Like you're actually writing for women between like 25 and 39 years old. Like that's my target demographic for YA, which is ridiculous to me because I found that teens read adult. Yes. Teens don't necessarily read YA books because they live that every day. Like they don't want to read about kids in high school having issues. They want to read about adults doing cool adult things. Whereas adults are like, screw this. I'm going to be back in high school. So they read more white. Does that make sense? Like, I feel like it's kind of a, I'm told nine, 10 year olds like to read about 14, 15 year olds. Right. Yeah, definitely. Strive for things. Yes. What about that new adult category? Is that, is that a thing? It's odd. It's, it's a thing for digital 
And I feel like it's a good thing to have a distinction as far as just age of your protagonist. Again, it doesn't matter. So the queen books are about Catherine the Great. So they're, they're a little racier. They're a little more mature. They're YA because when we start book one, she's 15. Right. So even though she's much older by the time we get to the end, it's based on her age, like the protagonist age, mm-hmm. as opposed to like even reading level. Okay. Like that doesn't seem to matter as much. It's really about the age of the protagonist. So that's kind of where it is. But you could also mark it as just historical fiction and some of the historical fiction by virtue of, you know, they were doing things when they were, they were getting married and having babies and ruling countries when they were much younger. Mm-hmm. So it would still fit on a historical shelf too. So it's kind of a toss up. But when you're looking at new adult, I think the one place a new adult failed was that it tried to be ex exclusive to contemporary. Okay. Like they really wanted college age people doing college things. Okay. But when you're talking about an age range, if you've got 19, 20, 21 year olds that are doing paranormal investigations, like that should still be new adult, I feel like. But for some reason, they're kind of poo-pooing that saying, oh, that's not new adult. That's just adult. So I feel like you kind of, it's like a have your cake and eat it too situation. Like you can't really, you can't really say it's new adult, but only if they're in college, because I don't think that works because not everybody goes to college. Not everybody has college experiences. Mm-hmm. So if you're doing it as an age range, it has to be inclusive to other subgenres. Okay. Yeah. Have you done any writing about actual life experiences, nonfiction stories? I, I've, and I ask you this because you had some pretty amazing experiences. Okay. She who likes to touch things. Yeah, I have had some. <laughs> I'm a great, I share a lot of stories. You know, we were, we were talking about this at your book launch party and I was just telling some of the ridiculous stories. You have to hear the story about Sherry, um, also following what another man has told her to do, right? (laughs) Yes. Oh, same in New York city. I feel like every time I go to New York city, people try to kill me. So we were in New York city for another, another event. And, uh, we were in Chinatown and it was the summer and they had this big fruit market, like and they were just selling all these cool exotic fruits. So my friends Sounds and I are, nice. are Sounds, there. It was great. Yeah. Innocent. So we're like, this is great. So we're trying all these fruits that we've never tried before. And they're really cool. And we get to the very end and there's this like, there's this fruit and it's like a nut. So it's like hard on the outside and like you crack it open and it's soft inside like a grape. And it's got like a seed. So you take the seed out and you just eat the soft part. And, and uh, what's it called? What did he say? He said it was like, I want to say he said it was a dragon's eye, but it meant like dragon's egg or dragon's eye or something, something, something along those lines. Again, broken dragony. English, a something little bit dragony. hard to, yeah, dragony. Which sounds exciting. Sounds I would, right? I would try it. I would yeah. totally eat that. So don't take, don't take <laughs> any from strangers, Sherry. So, so we, so we eat it. A couple of us eat it. And the next thing I know, we're like crawling down the sidewalk to Central Park because everything is like, we're having this ridiculous trip. You're physically crawling. Physically crawling. Hands and knees. Hands and knees. Because everything's like melting. Like it was a, the worst acid trip. I don't know. Oh. I've never actually done acid, but I feel like that's what it was like. You know what I mean? You've seen it in the movies. Yeah. So I don't know if the fruit was like, it was so hot, the fruit got fermented or if it was like a reaction, but then there was all, it was like all of us that ate it had the same reaction. Oh my. So like, I remember we made it to Central Park, which was just like a block down. And you, I'm but like, you crawl a block. Yeah. We crawl a block. Yeah. So, and like, I'm, I'm like holding on to this bench just for dear life. And it took about 30 minutes before it finally passed. And we were like, everybody was okay. And it was weird. That is like, so rule don't take fruit from strangers. That's my new rule. (laughs) It seems so innocent though. It does. And we want to try new things because it expands our world in so many ways. I love touching things and eating things, obviously. (laughs) Obviously. And to this day, like we've Googled it and we've looked for it and we can't find it. We can't find the fruit that roofied me in New York City. The so. fruit that roofied Sherry Fickler, <laughs> the author who touches things she shouldn't. Oh, my. Yeah.
I could spend hours with you. She and, doesn't even know what to do with me. <laughs> I don't even know what to do with you. But t- tell me some advice you might have for budding authors. Uh, oh, that's that's good. So uh, it kind of depends on where you're at in your in your author process. If you're just starting out, if you have an idea for a book, if you've just started writing a book, the best advice is just finish it. Just get to the end, even if it's I mean absolute garbage get to the end because a a lot of new authors have this mistake of they'll write five chapters and they'll stop and they'll edit or they'll tweak or they'll change and they'll do. You can always go back and do that later. Like writing is rewriting. Your first draft is never your final draft and you don't have to be completely happy with it, but it has to be finished. Uh, There was a really great quote from another author and I can't remember who off the top of my head, but she said that a first draft is like shoveling sand so you can build sandcastles later. And that's absolutely what it is. You just need to get the sand in the box so you can do something with it. Uh, So finish, finish is number one. And then for authors that have already finished their first book and are looking into, you know, publishing, how do I want to publish? Do I want to go indie? Do I want to go traditional? Um, My best advice is talk to other authors that are writing in your genre, stuff that you're doing, see what their experiences have been. And always, always, you know, look at what you want. Are you doing this as a career? Are you doing this as a hobby? What do you want to try and get from this? Mm-hmm. And then decide your path from there. And Google's going to be your best friend as an author. Right. You can figure out anything. You can you learn can. anything on you, YouTube. You can. We talked about that. We talked about that. I learned anything. how to harvest meat from an elk. Yes. On YouTube. Yes. What, what have you learned from YouTube? So many things. I learned how to butcher chickens butcher, on YouTube. Oh, oh, we have a theme going here. Yes. I learned how to butcher chickens. I learned how to do like sink repair. I learned how to put up drywall. There's like so many things. Like my my house is exploding on me all the time. Have you written so any how-to so books? I haven't done any how-to books. I feel like I should is, <laughs> at some is point. That, is that an interest at all? I mean, some I people know. just aren't interested in I, certain things. I feel like at some point I'll do something, but I'm not, I don't know. I feel like I'm not quite there yet. I'm still with the still with the fiction, still with the storytelling. Okay. I have like projects I'm tinkering with right now that are are nonfiction, but I was gonna I say what's know. next? What's next for Sherry Ficklin? Oh, so many things. So actually what's next on my list is the new I'm doing a new Queen series spinoff. So that's my current my current baby. It's a spinoff based on So it's it's prequels to the Queen series. Okay. So the Queen series is Catherine the Great mm-hmm. and this is actually Elizabeth of Russia. So it's her predecessor who okay. was actually the woman that's probably the most responsible for shaping who Catherine the Great became. And I wanted to sort of tell her story because she was just another one of those sort of underserved women in history that was so dynamic and so strong and she stepped into, you know, this very patriarchal society where women didn't really have rights and they didn't really have rules and she literally took over a country and kicked its ass like she just she did I it. see more research more so much more research do I, I see love a it. trip to Russia I wish I wish I could get into Russia do you know how hard it is to get into Russia right now I don't it's really hard is it? <laughs> it is actually um so it so I have like passport alerts and stuff on my countries that I want to travel to and I keep getting these don't travel to Russia like alerts <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So, but I do, I want to go to St. Petersburg. I want to see the Hermitage. I it, I did a lot of research like online. So the people from the Hermitage that run their Facebook page were like my best friends doing the Queen books. Mm-hmm. They'd send me pictures and they'd answer questions and because they have, so it's in the castle where Catherine the Great was, you know, is their museum now. And it's, um, and they have a lot of her gowns and a lot of her notes and a lot of just history. And so they were a great resource. Not being able to be boots on the ground is hard for me. And what drew you to her as a character? What made you want to write that series? You know, you everybody sort of knows, like, 
the 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 common you know who Catherine the Great was and what she did and she's sort of known for being this really sexualized character and and sort of all these things and I think a lot of that came later to kind of discredit her like there's still no better way to discredit a woman in history than to call her a whore do you know what I'm saying right. and so I feel like so much of that came after the fact and I wanted to I knew that she she wasn't actually Russian and she was basically sold to Russia as a teenage girl and so I wanted to see how she got from this 15 year old. German girl to this, I mean, just intense empress. I wanted to see that transition from her. And there's not a lot. She did her own, she wrote her own memoirs, which I read. And it's so like, it's you telling your story about your life to your kids. Like there's so many things that you gloss over and Mm -hmm. you kind of smooth out. And, and then there were a couple other accounts of her from other people later on. And so you kind of have to mix, you know, your own version of the truth, a version of what happened. So a lot of it is very historically accurate relationship with her mother, sort of how she came to Russia. And then I took like mentions of characters and circumstances from her memoirs and kind of expanded them to film my narrative of how she went. Because you see her in the first book, you're really, really rooting for her. And as you go through the series, she starts making worse and worse choices, but you're kind of cheering for her. She's making these choices because you totally understand why she's doing that. And then you get to the end and you're like, yes, yes, girl, you earned it. You know what I mean? All so right. that was the goal is I wanted to show the progression. That sounds fascinating. Yeah. Um, I just thought of something. You have four children. Yes. What is their response to your writing? They're super unimpressed with me. <laughs> like they love my author friends. They think it's very cool that I can get them autographed books from real authors. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah, it was amazing. So I actually met last year at Denver Comic-Con, I met Christopher Paolini, who wrote the Aragon series, okay. who, by the way, is a fantastic, not just writer, but human being. And um, and so I got some signed books for my kids. And like, I was the coolest mom ever for three seconds. And then it was like, hey, also, I have some dirty laundry for you to do. So <laughs> oh my gosh, that's wonderful. They're unimpressed with me. <laughs> that, that is amazing. Yeah. This is Laurel McCarg. You've been listening to Sherry Ficklin amazing author of so many wonderful books and you're going to have to sign up for her newsletter and check out her books and do you think we might have you back sometime i would love that that'd be great i would love that too thank you sherry thanks bye bye if you enjoyed this and other episodes please subscribe to alligator preserves on itunes stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts and consider becoming a patron of the alligator preserves podcast on patreon Find my show notes with links and photos on my website at ledvillaurel.com and join me next time when you'll meet Ken McLeod, who has taught and translated Buddhist practice in the Los Angeles area and has authored several books about his experience with Buddhist practices. Until then, choose your preserves wisely. Oh, and have you heard? The SIPA Evie Awards are open for submissions. Go to sipabooks.org, that's C-I-P-A books.org, for more information. Alligator Preserves is hosted and produced by Laurel McCard, with technical support provided by her husband, Mike McCard. Follow her on her website at leadvillelaurel.com, where she writes about life, real, and imagined. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy her books. Find her work at Amazon.com.